Hey, so for this segment of our podcast here at Invisible Oranges, um, we're going to talk about, um, the, the, I guess, the, the social ramifications and also the monetary ramifications of coronavirus as it's impacted our lives in the heavy metal world. I mean, as, as everyone knows, there are no shows happening. Uh, all the concerts and festivals this year have been canceled or postponed to next year. And um, a lot of internet, or sorry, a lot of a lot of heavy metal, you know, correspondents are talking with friends and other people has been happening online. And we've been um, transforming, I guess, I guess the scene in a way to a very kind of, you know, less face to face and more, you know, sort of person to person online. Um, how that's panning out for the scene and, and when we'll be back to shows, we have no clue. Um, but that's kind of the point of our discussion here is to go through really how coronavirus has affected, you know, the heavy metal subculture, if you will. And perhaps, you know, you could extrapolate some of these thoughts to other subcultures, um, just as everything is moving away from the face-to-face -face and, and to the online. Um, so we have uh, Joe April, of course, and Ted Newble here, uh, who are going to take lead on the discussion, and then we're going to see where it goes. So, hey, Joe. Hey, Ted. Hey. Hey there. Hey, so... Uh, First, first thought, um, <laughs> not going to shows and missing Psycho Las Vegas, uh, fucking sucks. <laughs> yep. I mean, it just does. Um, but we know, I think deep down why, you know, why large groups and everything causes an issue for the spread of coronavirus. Um, I, I think in general, the metal scene has been like able to adapt, but there's just still this sense of like, people feel like shit about it, you know, like it sucks. I mean, certainly I'm I'm on a group of people who, on Facebook, so one of those groups that, uh, you know, attendees for every year for Psycho Vegas, and so I see a lot of people's sort of emotional frustrations, you know, going as far back as the first, you know, notices that it probably wouldn't happen to when it actually was called off to now this weekend, you know, everyone kind of, a lot of people posting photos and videos of previous shows and talking about memories and the funny thing even was like it's been kind of like a running joke where people are like hey i'm at the pool stage right now who wants to meet me over there <laughs> like you know like kind of like larping that they're at yeah. still at psycho vegas um or like hey just landed um so it's definitely it's, you know, with coronavirus, there's so many things and there's a lot of things that I think are a little bit more um, serious, especially in terms of health and things like that. But there's definitely a mental health aspect to going a whole year without shows and festivals, especially festivals for a lot of people where it's like maybe they live somewhere where the local scene isn't that great. So a festival is something you could put a more money than you would into shows, but go and really get a real experience of the scene, see friends and maybe people from around the country or out of the country that you normally don't meet up with. So it's always a big event, I think, for people. And not having that is, yeah, it, it's depressing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's almost like it was sort of like a totemic show and that, like, it was kind of like the last possible show that could get canceled before like Corona really fucked everything up, and it got canceled. And in retrospect, <laughs> maybe the maybe the festival that has a fucking pool as a stage was like really high on the chopping block, but it didn't seem like it for a lot of people. <laughs> Especially like you know we didn't really think that it would take this long into the year. Yeah, as, as Ted says that as he wrestles yeah. a cat, love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, while we're recording this, it's interesting because, you know, Europe is starting to experiment with, you know, having these sort of socially distant shows and stuff. Although I kind of feel like we'll see how long that goes because I think some of the rates of corona transmission are starting to go up again there. So I think they might be getting I think they might be getting their second wave where we never left our first. Yeah. Um, Seems that way. Yeah. Yeah. So. It'll be interesting to see whether shows can pick up there or if they're going to have to go uh, disappear for a while longer as well. Um, I mean, I still see some festivals in Europe for like November and December still not canceled yet. Um, I think there it's sort of like the some sense of opt optimism or hopefulness that they'll be in a spot by that point. But I would not yeah. be surprised at all if those got canceled too, like the end of year stuff. Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. I mean, right now it's like 
like the last grain of hope for me is that at least Psycho 2021 happens. Like, yeah. I'm like, I feel like yeah. if it doesn't, like, it really will be this pit of emotional despair that I'll fall yeah. into. <laughs> it's interesting. Is Psycho Las Vegas like? Do we consider that like the main, or that's that's like where you meet everyone from all around? It's like uh, the. I mean, you can do that at many other fests as well, but it seems like Psycho yeah. has really taken this central role in like the spot to be in the metal scene with all the PR people and all the bands that, I mean, I met so many people. I've never met as many people that I had corresponded with online at Psycho Vegas than any other fest. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's interesting now, because Andrew, you went there last year for the first time ever. Yeah. And yep. I've been going there even before it was in Vegas when it was in California. So I've been at pretty much every iteration of it. Um, and Ted, I don't think you've, been there uh, i went to the one that was at the observatory with um Bedemon played so oh yeah. yeah actually i was there that year at the um yeah i think that was the last year it was in california yeah so that was cool but i think it was due for a change in venue just given how crowded that place was i wonder if you guys like accidentally like bumped shoulders and then walked past and like well, oh, what what an asshole that guy was <laughs> I, mean, I was going to say, I'm sure we probably, like, the venue is not huge, and you yeah. have to walk by a lot of people, so um, we probably walked by each other, but I, I don't know if we bumped and were like, yeah. fuck you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember any negative interactions, like so, yeah. <laughs> no, it was, it was good vibes. Um, I had no negative, really, experiences at Psycho Vegas. It was such a whirlwind. It was such, like, a, a dreamy sort of, like... This dreamscape where you're you're free in Vegas and pretty much you can't get arrested for any. I mean, like, I mean, you could do whatever the fuck you want, <laughs> more or less. Let's put it that way, um, and just have a good time and just feel completely unfettered by the outside world. In fact, I love the allegory of being stuck in that that hotel with no windows, the casino, um, yeah. and it's 110 degrees out, so you don't want to go outside. It's oppressive, and so you're just stuck in this like nether realm this other world and i think a a huge part of what we what we draw from the socialization at shows whether it's a local show or a huge fest like psycho vegas is just like there's an element of escape there there's an element of like you forget about your daily trials and tribulations forget about work and you just like you're in the moment as you socialize and as you converse with people you're not like thinking about the past or the future you're thinking about the present you're there and i think that presence is what heavy metal sort of is about but also what going to shows is about is about like just living in the moment even for just a night psycho vegas three days is living in the moment it's a long time to live in the moment <laughs> but, especially but yeah. at three or to five in the morning yeah like jesus <laughs> Those those magic i mean it, it's we we talked about it a bit with our um you know, previous guest uh, podcast with Scott Carlson from Repulsion. You know, he talked about that kind of that magic moment when like the bands kind of stop playing around like one in the morning, and then you kind of just have everyone kind of like talking about how fun the day was, all the crazy things that happen, and you're drinking, and you know, you you don't have to make that choice between socializing and seeing music. Like it, it's that moment where it just becomes about socializing and you know, getting a drink and a smoke and just hanging out with people and for some people you know that can go for <laughs> until the next band the next day oh, starts yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think ultimately but, like we might we might from its from an outside perspective a lot of like what i call shit shooting like after the music's done you're drinking a beer you're probably a little buzzed and stunned and it's like what are you even talking about you know like like you're just talking about the music. You just you're just like oh yeah, it's all. You're not discovering anything profound. You're just shooting the shit. But I think we might we might look at that and be like oh well that's all superficial. You know what? I'm not talking about philosophy or life or the uncovering of all these great truths. I'm just shooting the shit. But you got to realize that as humans we need that we need that element of like just talking about the band we just saw. We're gonna forget about it next week maybe or got some other shit to worry about but like you know just just like being there and drinking beer and talking about like music you know as empty and pointless and vacuous as that sounds during coronavirus when we have so many more important things to talk about quote unquote it's still like not having that important element of socialization 
does impact us. You know, it doesn't have to be heavy metal. It can be anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I mean, you know, not to portray it like everyone who's socializing there is, you know, only talking about the music happening. Like I've definitely Mm, had those weird moments where like drunken conversation gets into deep philosophy. It's profound. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. And then, and then somehow that slides into like anime or, you know, weird cartoons or, you know, uh, conversation has a life of its own. You you can never, never predict where it'll go. Um, Ted, I I wanted to ask you though. um, I mean, you mentioned you went to, um, you know, the last time it, Psycho was in California, but like for you, was has there been a festival you've been to multiple times? Like it, it may not e- exist anymore, but was there one that kind of became an event? It was like every year, it was like, oh, I gotta go to that. Uh, yeah, there's a couple. I think uh, Maryland Death Fest was the first like festival that I went to for metal, and like I just kind of got into a job at college and met some people who knew about metal too, and they told me like, you know, there's this festival in Maryland where you can go and see all these bands. Or like Before that, I just kind of done, like, I don't know, OzFest, I guess. So, like, nothing mm-hmm. really on the underground side. And so I did that, I think, I think three times, maybe just two. But uh, it was definitely an experience. You know, Baltimore is an interesting city. It's uh, got some good parts, <laughs> got some weird parts, and, like, you cross both of them somehow going from the hotel to the, the show. Um, it was yep. definitely, like, I think the shit-shooting thing, like, that's something that only happens at festivals compared to, like, you know, it's a local show because a local show, everyone has to go home. Like they have some mm-hmm. sort of like obligation to to leave, but it's not always there when you're in Baltimore <laughs> at like 3 a.m. just wandering, looking for an open convenience store, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, Maryland Death Fest was the first one of that. Again, kind of like you said, like I mean, technically Ozfest before, but in terms of like a in the states multi-day fest where. Yeah, there was some sort of traveling involved and meeting people and seeing the same people usually every year. Like Maryland Death Fest was the first of that for me. And I went, I think, six years consecutively and seven years total. Hmm. Um, so I, I went there quite a few times. Uh, I eventually stopped um, kind of when Psycho kind of started becoming a thing because it's far closer to california than maryland um (laughs) which which is another thing because i've been talking about fests with some friends and i think for a number of people on the east coast psycho is still sort of like oh that's a thing but i'm not sure about it yet um there's definitely i think a lot of people who i I think the lineups catch people people's eyes but i think there's still some people who are skeptical about psycho in, in terms of being a institution um, the way like Maryland Death Fest is an institution. Yeah, I mean they've had a good track record of like throwing up like the flashy lineup and actually following through on it. Um, yeah. But it is—it's only been what like I guess three years of like really like mainstream like being out there. So this was kind of yeah. going to be the year where I think they cemented themselves. And uh, yeah, it's it's ironic because I, I think you're right. I think this would have been the fifth year in Vegas. Um, and last year was a real tumultuous one because they had to change locations. They had to change from the um, Hard Rock to the Mandalay Bay. And, you know, even even I was kind of skeptical. I was like, oh, how's this going to go? Like, who knows? Like, <laughs> and they pulled it off. And really I thought, it went, yeah. I thought yeah. it went, you know, I went to the first three years at the Hard Rock and I thought, oh, there could be no venue better than this. And then <laughs> they proved me wrong. I was like, oh, shit, this is better. Um <laughs> So, yeah, it's it's sad, and, and I have a lot of sympathy for the organizers because I think, especially with this lineup with such exclusives and you know names that carry so much weight in the underground, especially em- Emperor. Em- you were just Emperor, about to say, yeah, yeah, Emperor and Merciful Fates. Uh, I think you know that would have cemented it where it's like I think a lot of people who I think. That year, I mean, this year in particular, would have been the year a lot of people who thought, eh, were like, oh, fuck, I got to go. And that probably would have helped them kind of really become a thing for at least another five years. So hopefully next year (laughs) that can become that for it. But we'll see. Yeah, I wonder if, like, uh, festival attendance in 2021 will just be, like, overall higher or lower or what? Because, like... You know, everyone's now missed out shows that got basically, like, um, a year's worth of, like, show hype, you know, in them. But also at the same time, we've kind of had a fear of public gatherings drilled into us for good reason for the last year. So I wonder how that's going to equal out. 
Maybe it's maybe it equals out completely even. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting one because I mean, there's going to be a lot of people who, uh, I mean, again, it's really hard to say what the economy is going to be like from now for a whole year because I can definitely imagine a lot of people were like, I can't afford to go anymore. Like, I had to sell my tickets because rent and you know all sorts of other things. So I think there's some people where it's like because they don't go to shows and because like in my case i'm fortunate i'm still got a day job i'm still employed um i'm not even you know at a lower rate or anything like that so you know fingers crossed as long as i don't get fired or or laid off between now and then um you know i have a lot of money saved up because i haven't had any kind of nightlife i haven't been going to shows i haven't been traveling like you know not having those plane tickets uh, is really saving some money. <laughs> yeah. yeah probably saved like $50 in cover charge now, so it's pretty great. <laughs> uh, I think I think it actually will be a bigger issue for local shows, though, because, you know, like you've probably seen like a lot of venues have actually just closed because of this. Um, yeah. And it's unknown at this point who's going to actually be able to open up again. Yeah, I think it's an interesting take. Like, we look at Psycho Vegas as an institution or even as – Festivals as an industry unto themselves, I think they're going to be able to, while still having issues, I think they'll weather this. I think Psycho Vegas 2021, given given coronavirus at the time, will still happen. Let's see. Let's hope. But I know that if it can, they will. Whereas local shows and like the, the places or the venues where 50 to 100 people show up for like every week, as opposed to happening in every year, mm-hmm. I think they're going to... I think they're gonna hit. They're being hit the most, and that's. I mean, I think about like like the empty bottle in Chicago. Like, what that their entire business model just got invalidated by like people coming into the bar, socializing, spending money, Mm -hmm. and seeing shows. Like that's not happening. So it's like how do, how do you stay afloat when you need that income not every year but every week, every day, you know? So they don't have. They can't buffer out eight, ten, twelve months of business that they're lost um, on what they have. So, like, I don't know. I don't want to say that Psycho Vegas didn't take a hit from not ha- happening this year. Like, clearly, like, those organizers and the whole fest and all the pocketbooks and everything, definitely they had to look at everything and be like, how are we going to do this? Like, how are we going to make this work without going broke? Um, but venues are doing that, too, every day. It's like, even restaurants, but especially music venues. Like, ew, what are no, we going to sell? The- yeah. Yeah, I think the local venues, I think it's very comparable to bars. Because mm-hmm. um, at least with restaurants, certainly in L.A., a lot of them uh, have been doing like the outdoor model, like turning mm-hmm. parking yeah. lots into uh, dining areas and things like that. But a bar, I mean, the only thing I've seen where they've been able to kind of make money is sort of like doing like kind of a like a, a beer and wine store kind of thing where it's like, Oh, you can order their reserves or their stuff. Um, but even then I'm not sure how long that's going to help them. Yeah. You can't really commoditize local music any more than it already has been. So it's not really yeah. anything you can do there. I mean, there's live streams, but yeah. uh, you know, that's just kind of like a piecemeal approach. Yeah. Kind of like, kind of like at what point do we say that like, this has gone too far for capitalism itself to handle. Like, at what point do we say, like, <laughs> there is no way, no matter how much ingenuity or hard work that these venues can put in, they're going to stay in business. Like, they just can't because yeah. there's just no one coming. <laughs> there's no one gathering in groups. And, like, at what point do we say that that's wrong, that that's unfair, it's not their fault, and that we help them out? And I know there's been so many efforts to help them out, but it's been all grassroots. It's not been from the top, you know. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know how much we want to get into it, but I think we all know that from the top, top, uh, help is not coming. No, Um, I think, I think stomaching that realization is maybe like the first step, but it's like weathering it is the second step and the hardest one. It's like, how do you, how do you know, how do you, how do you think about your business or like, let's say you're in a venue in LA or Chicago, wherever, and how do you think about it? in the future in terms of like there's like no one's gonna help me i'll get a bit from like the grassroots and like people supporting and making content and trying and trying their hardest but like i might just have to fail and that's it i mean like how many will how many of the venues in la will close how many in chicago will 
end up closing by the end of the year. Like, for good, not just temporarily. I don't know. I feel like we're on the precipice of starting to see that because, I mean, I usually pay attention to the local news, and I haven't been hearing about too many well-known venues closing down. Um, mind you, there might be some in Ventura County or Orange County that I haven't heard yeah. about. But um, certainly, you know, I haven't heard of anything like, oh, the whiskey's closing down, the rocks is closing down. Uh, I think the one thing I heard was the Troubadour was having some serious trouble. Um, but I didn't hear anything about them actually closing, closing. Um, so it's... It's curious because I could, you know, I could imagine just one week from now it happening where it's just like the delayed rent finally is up. And and I think that's it. I think a lot of these places, it's like there's a certain degree of mortgage forgiveness and just a certain degree of rent forgiveness. But I do feel like it's it's a wolf at the door. And it's yeah. like, when you know, when is it going to finally break through? Yeah, we thought there'd be an end in sight, but really it's like that was not the case. No. And uh, still, how many months are we into this since like February, March? It's August as we record this, middle of August. It's like, how much more do we know now than we did when we started? <laughs> Not that much a bit. more. <laughs> a bit. <laughs> Some. It's, uh, it's like we're you know, 5% we, better off. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, this could be a while. And, um, yeah. and it's like, we replace and we try to substitute like things like shows with like live streams of shows, which is interesting. Um, but I've seen a couple of good ones. Like the Huntsman live stream was badass. Mm -hmm. Like that was, yeah, that was cool as fuck. They really like did the, took the time and got the video to work right. They got everything to look nice. And it was like tuning into that. It wasn't like going to a show, but it was better than not, <laughs> you know, right. it was better than not going to any shows. It was, it was interesting. So I like, I like to see how bands and artists adapt and use the technology and the connection we have. But at the same time, it's still sad, you know, like what we're doing on our Saturday night is like sitting in our offices, watching a band on TV <laughs> together. It's better than nothing, but man, it really hits hard, you know? Yeah, and this is causing a lot of bands to have to really like get on board with technology. Um, I've seen a couple of live streams yeah. that were not not handled right. It's like, oh man, I know you guys have no idea how to use like OBS or any of this stuff, <laughs> but like, uh, like it's it's a little higher bar than like a just playing a show. You know, you can show up to any like venue you want, whether it's like a monitor or whatever, and buying out something. But on a live stream, if you have the wrong data quality, it's going to be literal garbage, like absolute mm -hmm. un like unlistenable garbage. So. Mm -hmm. You learn this from doing any sort of photo or video work is like you have one setting wrong, whole thing's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you, it's almost like, you know, it's it's a rock and hard place because bands need to hire these professionals to manage the live streams. People are musicians; they're not live streamers necessarily. But there's no money to do that. There's no resources to do that. Yeah. Getting people to work for free is not really the, not really the, uh, not really the code of the wise in a time where everyone needs a bit of money. Um, so, yeah, it's tough. I don't know, what have you guys missed out, like, socially? Like, do you guys feel, like, a little cooped up? I mean, I, I for um, one, do. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, I joined, you know, Invisible Orange at the beginning of this year, and, like, the plan was for me to go, you know, shoot photo, like shoot shows, like, take photographs. And yeah. uh, you know, the first one lined up was going to be the Huntsman album release show with uh, Woven Hand and Ohm. Um, God. And that was like the first thing that got canceled. Like that was when the dominoes started falling. That just sucked. And you know, like mm. what I've been doing like all of twenty nineteen was like going to like at least two live or local shows like a year or not a year, a month and like photographing them and like writing about them. But that kinda gone, it's kinda like, damn, what do I do now? Um, I know. You were on the cusp too, Ted, because your photos are quite nice and you just kinda started. And that's actually where I met you was at a show you were shooting photos and uh Damn, like right at that moment when you were about to go to, to see Ohm and Huntsman and Wovenand, it's like, yep. <laughs> sorry, bud. <laughs> yeah, I know, God. No yeah. photo pitch for me, but uh, one day. Oh. I, I was, yeah, I know, I was lined up to do Rage Against the Machine, Rammstein this year, those both got nixed. Rammstein, I think, scheduled for next year, I don't know about Rage Against yep. the Machine. That's a whole nother story, that band. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, what do you do? It's... Yeah, I, I mean, on the professional side, it's been interesting because certainly my favorite way to interview 
people is in person. So oh. it's it's always been the better experience going to shows and then interviewing the band or, you know, trying to meet up with them the day of the show and, and doing that. Um, those have been some of my favorite types of interviews. So yeah. haven't been able to do that. Um, I mean, fortunately, you know, audio chat, it's still pretty good. Um, but socially... Yeah, it's pretty nuts because a lot of my metal friends, we really only see each other at shows and stuff, which is partially a consequence of Los Angeles and just that, like, even without Corona, like, people kind of have a hard time meeting up. Like, <laughs> like shows are one of the few reasons people will leave, I guess you would call it their district or their borough. Mm-hmm. Um, like, People get very set in their ways in terms of, like, whatever commute they have to do for work. And then beyond that, they kind of, like, fuck doing anything else or driving anywhere else because driving in L.A. sucks. Ah. Uh, yeah, it does. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of times it, it's kind of hard to, like, meet up or have a reason to meet up with people other than, you know, maybe someone's birthday party or something like that. Maybe people would get off their butts and go to that. But, you know, show is kind of the one place where you can, like expect everyone that you would to show up um so yeah there's a lot of people just i haven't seen and uh once yeah yeah same yep same bummer someone want to hit the yeah someone want to hit the low key on the piano right now just like (laughs) bummer (laughs) Uh, we, we could i've got i had a friend who had a podcast and they had some nice samples that they threw in like kind of like an old uh like an old disc jockey kind of thing yeah are we that are we that technologically advanced at invisible <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll <laughs> see we'll see if we get to that point um yeah. we could be pretty creative with that um but yeah it's yeah i think it's a weird thing because like i have it not to you know i don't want to call anyone out and i don't want to you know, make it seem like I'm being mean or bashing anyone, but it's been interesting seeing people's reactions. Like I've seen some people who have definitely dealt with it a little bit more gracefully than other people. Um, there's definitely been some who it's, and I don't necessarily blame them again. It's, you know, how much emotional, you know, uh, need you put into these shows and these social situations, you know, having that taken away from you can be pretty devastating and you're going to lash out. Um, and I've definitely seen that in some people where they've been really angry and mad and kind of lashed out at people, you know, maybe someone's like, Hey, you know, this is the good for everyone. We need to be careful. We need to keep things closed. And they're just like, no, fuck that. No, I need to get back to shows. Fuck you. It's like, I'm sure they realize it is important. It's just certainly in those moments where being reminded of of this situation, you know, they're just really at their wits end uh, emotionally and they express it. Yeah. And I've seen a couple like shows come up on my Facebook feed and none of them have been. Well, first of all, good ideas or things I would ever consider like attending. So like there's definitely like a stratification of like risk versus like i don't know this certain scenes seem more inclined to do shows right now like uh, well that with like you know like people try and do these underground underground kind of things like like it's some sort of speakeasy um or (laughs) it's it's a weird thing it's like the only other time i'd seen these methods used before was kind of like sketchy bands that were getting banned Mm. it's like oh we're gonna have this show somewhere and we'll announce the day of where the venue is and now it's like well we don't want the cops to stop us because they're gonna say we're spreading corona so we'll tell you where the venue is the last minute and it's like okay both of these situations are not exactly great yeah (laughs) yeah it's like how do you how do you prevent or at least advise against that sort of deviant behavior in a subculture or a group that is founded partially at least on deviant behavior? Yeah. Well, <laughs> and in, I'm not talking the... about deviant as in like like fascist music and shit. I'm talking about deviant right. as in like we're gonna have a show in a basement that's not fire code safe and yeah. we're not gonna tell. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. I've seen basement shows where people know where it is, but no one knows where it is and. Well, it, uh, yeah, in, yeah, in metal, but definitely in punk, I think, yeah, def- you know, definitely. 
with that DIY attitude, it's kind of hard to regulate. You know, it's one thing to regulate a venue where like it's like, okay, 500 people and there's a bar and there's a bar license and all of that. And it's another thing where it's just a bunch of kids, you know, you know, doing something in someone's backyard or basement. And, you know, the cops can show up and, and break it up and as, as they always have done. Um, but, you know, it's an, it, then, you know, you compare that like in L.A. We had this incident with, uh, you know, I forget the name, but the, like the famous YouTuber. Um, oh, was, yeah, yeah. 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 Like had a big freaking party and um, Logan Paul. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and he's not the only one. There's a lot of these like, you know, influencers, you know, whether Instagram or YouTube, where like they're kind of like, oh, screw it. And they have like 200, 500 people just like no masks just very close quarters drinking partying and kind of like having like a end of the world party and it's like yeah you're you're helping bringing it on um, yeah you, sh- you shouldn't be doing that <laughs> yeah that's the irony that's like that's the that's the true sickness of the whole situation is like you know, in the midst of all this craziness the first thing you want to do is socialize and be with people and like fill that void that we've been been created by this whole situation but in doing so in trying to like placate this terrible sensation of dread and everything you're actually making it worse (laughs) it's like a really it's really evil it sucks so yeah yeah Yeah, what sucks is that like in these urban areas that i think we all live in like we have the appetite for like doing some sort of like socially distanced outdoor show we don't have actually the real estate for it and like again the diy punks don't Mm -hmm. own any land they could do that on and like it's not really any park districts we can go to nearby so there's really no like place to do it so like there is ways i think to do small shows in like socially distanced fashions but like we don't have any of the things required to do that which is a bummer and it would just be so much headache too. Yeah. yeah. Well, the other thing for me, even like you know, when I see some of these outdoor, like concert type stuff, or even like, you know, they're talking about like, oh, you could do like a drive-through concert. Like people will show up right. in their cars, um, and, and I'm just kind of like, for you know, if it's like you know, old old boomer era rock bands like you know, from the 70s or something like that or or certain types of music i could see that working but it's like for metal it's like uh, yeah well, there's gonna be some asshole who gets drunk and decides to start a mosh pit with his car and it's like <laughs> it's uh, like yeah. do i really want to take the risk of, of being the guy who parked next to that asshole that's hilarious uh, uh, it takes crowd killing to a new level shit <laughs> <laughs> So someone wants to be a legend, even if it's in the Darwin Awards. I know. Um, but uh, and even besides that, you know, if it is just sort of like, uh, you know, you're a big field and there's a big stage and then people are, you know, what, 12 feet apart in the little, like squared off pieces of lawn. It's like, I mean, you know, enough metal shows where there's going to be a few people who drink a little too much, bring their own booze. And just start ignoring rules and just start, you know, even not starting a mosh pit, but just, you know, go walking over, talking to people or, you know, go and running through the crowd. It's like, do you do you want to deal with that? Yeah, Yeah. I think I think the ultimate the ultimate realization we all have to come to terms with is like we'll always be a degree away from normal Mm -hmm. until we Mm -hmm. finally solve this problem of the world. There will be no normality until this problem is 100% gone. Getting there is going to be a long and difficult road. Well, I think, I mean, it's a longer conversation to be had, but it's going to be interesting because I think there's going to be some cultural changes. Like, I think think probably for the rest of my lifetime, uh, we're going to see people wearing masks on planes. Oh, yeah. Like, a lot. It's um, a good idea, anyway. It I think. really is. <laughs> it, just, it is. I feel better. Yeah. Yeah. No, because I mean, I've you know, especially I've traveled enough, uh, not even just fest in the U.S., but usually fest in Europe, and ha- it's like a fifty-fifty chance I'm going to get home and feel sick as hell, because yeah. yeah, disease, airborne disease spreads really easily on a plane. I know everything from like. I think the lack of humidity and the and the pressure to like just the close quarters. I think it's like a 
It's a I'm, not a, I'm not a scientist, yeah. but I'm a, I, I think it's I think it's known to be yeah. like if you're gonna get sick, it's probably gonna be on a plane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't know. Well, yeah, there was a comic who said it's a what was it a giant metal hot dog filled with farts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely disgusting. I don't want to be on that thing. God. Yeah, that'll deter us. Who knows? Maybe maybe uh, this will encourage Bullet Train um, to become a oh, God, more I wish. more likely idea, an alternative. Yeah, here's the Elon Musk and his Hyperloop. Yeah, yeah. kind of hate the guy, but if he can pull it off, too. Yeah. why not? He pulls it off, yeah. Maybe he'll get some cred back. Who knows? <laughs> Let's segue. You want to do a segue? Yeah. Yeah, I like how, Joe, you mentioned um, Sirith Ungol. I think it was either before we started talking or during. Um, Sirith Ungol, I, like, you had that experience. It was early this year, right, where you interviewed them in their, in their uh, studio, I think. And they yep. played for you a live, like, a, a, you know, a, a rehearsal, basically, of their live set. It was going to be uh, a special two-night show they were doing in Germany. And I'm forgetting the name of the festival, which some of my friends are going to kick my ass for forgetting that right now. But Because <laughs> um, I had one friend who was going to go to it. And it was like, yeah. dude, I saw what you were going to see. <laughs> and then that became... I didn't mean to make that mean, but once, you know, everything shut down, it was kind of like, oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that, w- that was a special event. Um, it- and it was weird because that was, I think, right at the very, very beginning of March. So, like, COVID was kind of becoming a reality. People were aware of it. Nothing was really closing yet except for some stuff in New York, yeah. I think. Um so, like, even the band members were kind of joking about it. Like, oh, you know, you worried about shaking my hand? And I was like, no, it's fine. Of course, like, now it's like, yeah, I probably wouldn't shake anyone's hand. Um, and, yeah, that was kind of my last, you know, what I mentioned earlier of interviewing bands in person. That was the last one I got to do because um, it was only a matter of weeks before L.A. pretty much closed down. Um, but, yeah, the they are amazing guys and i think as you mentioned we wanted to segue into talking about um some of the highlights so far this year in terms of exactly albums. and i think that both your experience with that band and the album itself are both highlights of this year cool as fuck they played for you and you got to see like firsthand like right up front but also man that album whips <laughs> it moves. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I I wouldn't yeah. characterize it as them playing for me. Like, oh, I got you, but, any, but any they... of them listen to this or like, <laughs> what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> like, well, you sat there I, and they played and you watched. So that, yeah. that was the, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think um, we all liked that album, didn't we? Like Langdon yeah. liked it. I liked it. Ted, Joe, clearly you like it. I think John but, likes it. Yeah, yeah. I think we all do. But Ted, you you mentioned you were you were interested in talking about that. So what's what's your reaction to, you know, Sirith and Goal in general, and then you know the new album? Yeah. So I think the most interesting thing for me with this album is like it's been maybe thirty uh, ish years, I think, since their last yeah. album, just about. And like they basically came back with this comeback album as if nothing had like no time had passed and nothing had changed. And so too often I feel like I see comeback albums with a similar time period and they come back and it's like fucking trash. Like there's like new metal in there or like um, somewhat relevant like Sanctuary did like a comeback. It's not the same time frame, but that was not good. Mm -hmm. It was not good at all. And so I was pretty much like up until Witch's Game came out, I was just assuming that like if, if they had done anything in the future, it would be not good. But it turns out uh, Witch's Game was like, you know, 13 minutes of like awesome, classic, mm-hmm. like Sirithungal sound. And then they come back with uh, Forever Black, and it's like, again, like a full album, like totally classic sound, basically picking up from where they left off. And more importantly, like not only did they kind of continue what they were doing, but they actually kind of evolved it in a way that like makes sense to people who are like, you know, fans of like the first uh, three albums besides paradise lost because that one's kind of like a 50 50 for a lot of people so i think just you know a comeback album that like actually succeeds like what they did in the past is pretty impressive to me i agree i think it's it's also it's interestingly like if someone hasn't heard sirithungal ever i would kind of recommend the new album more than anything else in terms of like listen to this if you like this check out the old stuff because it it really feels like kind of a perfect mix and of everything they're about 
Yeah, and that's um, actually, that's really unusual too. But I think you're right. Yeah, it, it the weird thing too. Think about because I think I was watching like some music documentaries where they talk about how when bands. Yeah, I think I was watching uh, the documentary on Amazon um, about the Damned, and off and on they had some lineup changes and they had some you know uh, times where they kind of broke up and got back together. And every time they kind of got back together or had a different lineup, like that album always kind of felt like a new album. It felt like the first album of a band mm. where like a lot of the material was just on point. And I think that's definitely the case with Sirith Ungol and other bands sometimes when, you know, not always, but when bands do reunite, it kind of becomes this next first album where it's like years of, you know, workshopping stuff and stuff you know it just the they've had the time for the best stuff to kind of come to the forefront um the production on the album i feel like is is like still kind of carries on the classic like sound of the band but in a little bit more approachable way and also i think their songwriting kind of like maybe it's because they had so much time to kind of ruminate on it, but like they aren't as afraid as they maybe were in the past of like just taking like a good riff and just jamming it on for a while and not like having to switch it up or having like you know putting more vocals in there like there's just some seriously good like extended long jams in there that i thought were really cool to hear like after so long there's definitely bands where i feel like they hit a good riff and i mean sometimes it's the genre like it's like i don't expect a grindcore band to play a riff out for you know eight measures um but at the same time when you hit a really good riff it's like know how to use it like don't just immediately go to something else because it's like oh man yeah like it, it was there but only for a little bit hmm. um and so it's nice when when a band somehow finds that perfect like not too hot not too cold balance of like this is the right amount of time for this riff in the song you know whether you know it comes back later in the song or, or whatnot um and yeah i agree just the songwriting chops of those guys it's it's amazing it's definitely one of the highlights of the year for me um but not to to make this entire segment about um <laughs> sir thunkel <laughs> as much as i much, oh, why much not? as i love them and and they would love me for, to just talk about them the whole time and maybe we could do that another time maybe we have have <laughs> langdon on and do a a big sir thunkel uh, love fest um but i i think we did want to talk about some of the other highlights of the year um so Ted, Andrew, let me ask you guys, like, what's, you know, maybe not something that just came out, but what's something that just still lingers in you? Like, man, I just love throwing this on. Uh, Andrew, you want to go first? Sure. It's, I mean, you guys, hey, Joe, I think you tried to listen to the Paysage de Ver. Uh, excuse my pronunciation. You know, the the Swiss, Swiss black metal guy. Yeah. Yeah. His two hour long magnum opus that, that John wrote about and. Uh, we've posted about a, new, a, a number of times. Yeah. I mean, that album, I think, in its sheer size and scope, it's not that it's big and long, but it's that it's big and big. It's like everything mm -hmm. about it is momentous and cinematic. Like, putting that on as easy listening is not an option. Uh, mm -hmm. It's clearly not background music. But at the same time, like, getting through the whole thing is extremely exhausting. Yeah. And I love that challenge. I love that mountain you have to climb to get the reward. And I think... Out of all the albums released this year, the most challenging one is definitely the Passage. Like it's just, it's a monolith, and that I think attacking it and overcoming it is such a great reward for me that it's one of my favorite albums of the year. Yo, know, I know your black metal style is not super in line with 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 Passage, but I think you had some level of appreciation for it, right? I do. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, I would characterize it as that sort of slightly lo-fi, definitely kind of an atmospheric, uh, burz oh, burzum, yeah. dark throne kind of influence, but obviously he's taking it in his own direction. Um, and I, I can appreciate it. And I feel like if I gave it more time, I, I could appreciate it more, but it is just a style of music that uh, it usually goes against the grain of what I know I like in terms of like double albums or albums where it's like two hours long or, you know, uh, just stuff like that. I, I really appreciate bands that can be economical with their time. Yeah. 
and and that's definitely not that kind of an album. Yeah. Is it is it Joe? Is it that it's somewhat kind of an abstract album? Like it's it is quite. The, I mean, the paysage it's it's very abstract. <laughs> Let's put it that way. It almost sometimes doesn't feel like music and is more noise. And I think that he rides that line so well, and that's part of the reason why I like it. But it might, might turn it off for you. Yeah, I I mean, black metal I've always been weird in that. Like, I mean, we all know John. John loves lo-fi like in sense of really lo-fi but he's like yeah he sends me links to shit and i and i turn it on and it just sounds like cassette hiss <laughs> i'm like yeah john fuck yeah <laughs> and it yeah i you know I, I kind of more that goldilocks thing like i don't like stuff yeah. that's like you know the latest demi borgir super overproduced like just mm. digitized to fuck um but at the same time like just the like you know, like recording it through a Teddy Ruxpin, like um, tape player. Like I'm mm-hmm. not, not quite my speed. Like that's super yeah, super I lo-fi. Like I, I like that. Yeah. I like that middle ground. Yeah, cool. And Ted, you didn't dive into the paysage, did you? No, but I will say, like, I, on the economical point, like, I think definitely I often do lean towards albums that are, like, about, you know, that 40-minute mark, single LP, just because, mm-hmm. like, if I'm driving somewhere, that's usually about how long it takes, and, like, that's what I can really digest and get through. And so, like, these long albums, I, I end up, like, putting a lot of long albums on, like, my top, like, list of the year just because, like, I appreciate, like, what they do, even though I get to listen to it, like, maybe three times that year just because it's so long. I don't know what you guys, <laughs> but, like, I can't really, like, stop and start an album, like, I come back to him like, nope, it's ruined. I got to start again. Um, well, so, yeah. I'm the same way. Yeah. Yep. I feel like if I stop like halfway through like a really long album, it's just like the next time I start playing music, I'm in a different mood. So yeah. then I start mm-hmm. listening to something else. And then it's like, you know, I don't even remember leaving off. You know, it's not like a movie where it's like, oh, yeah, I remember yeah, I left off at that point. It's it's. You know, yeah. it's like, okay, start over again. So it's like maybe I'll listen to the first third of the album like four times, but never get to the, <laughs> the latter half. Yeah, and so I think I could probably transition here to uh, my pick, which would probably be Huntsman, American Scrap. Or not American Scrap, goddammit. Uh, Huntsman, Mandela. Oh! <laughs> That's our last one. It's uh, Mandela of Fear yeah. is the one they did in March, just before mm-hmm. everything went to shit. And so that album is 84 minutes long, I believe. So... It's a big one. It's another yeah. big boy. And like, it's basically taking you on a journey, like through genres, through like their story, and just like through their sound. So, like, you start off in that album, it starts with like this song, Right, right Out, which is like the first single. And it's like almost like heavy, yes. It's got to feel like really like harsh, like almost like death metal parts in there. And then it goes to like atmospheric sludge. So, like, if you like stop that halfway through and try and come back, you're just like, I don't know where I am anymore. Like, I got to go back. I got to be taken through this journey again. So, um, you know, like I've listened to it maybe like, uh, four or five times all the way through, but I've gotten like halfway through like way more times than that. Cause like, again, it's like a car ride and I'm like, well, I can't really start from where I left off. I got to try this again. So yeah, nice. that one was really good though. I, I, I don't know if you listen to that one or not, Joe, but it's pretty solid, like, uh, modern. I love it over at Brooklyn Vegan too. I mean like, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, I call, I call them albums for all people, you know? It's just like, I feel like if you like rock, metal, anything heavy with groove, you can't not like Huntsman. Mm. I don't know. They just rock, you know? Yeah. It's not really metal, is it? Well. I mean, it sort of is. It, it gets both. But it's yeah. also hard rock. Mm-hmm. It's both. Yeah. And like, I like how they, I like how they just ride that line, you know? And they, our interview with them was awesome too. It was, it, you're right, Ted. That's one of the best albums of the year. Yeah. And we've, so. we've basically, um, maxed out our hype on that one i don't think we can hype it any more than we yeah. have like <laughs> i don't think so yeah um yeah that's one i still need to go back and give a good thorough listen to i mean i feel like uh good driving music yeah i'll definitely yeah. keep that in mind yeah. uh especially yeah. since i am still commuting to work um uh yeah, I mean, that's always a reason, like, at the end of the year, I always do appreciate the end of the year list, because I do feel like I get kind of in my own circle of things, yeah. and I do I do take an interest in, like, oh, what's something I maybe didn't pay enough attention to? So, like, I'll check out your guys' lists or lists in other sites and be like, oh, yeah, I didn't really listen to that, or maybe I did, but I don't really remember it, but it's, like, number three on this person's list, so let me check it out. Um Right now, I mean, we talked about Sir Thungle, and it's kind of like 
that between a few other albums is my toss up for still favorite of the year. But one that like I can't leave without mentioning is um, and here's where where I start making things complicated because I can't pronounce their name. I can't or, pronounce it either. So <laughs> uh, is uh, Malak Arpatan uh, the um, oh Malakara Patan. Yeah, Malo- yeah, Malakar Patan, uh, and uh, we're, we're idiots. <laughs> and, and the album Krupinski On, I think it's pronounced. Maybe you got. Um, I feel like I can pronounce that, yeah. that band in my head, but I can't. I can't. I can't get my tongue to make that noise. Uh, but, but I yeah, that band rocks. They're awesome. Yeah, and and, and everything about them just it, it's so it's funny too because it's like you know it's it's a black metal band that uh obviously doesn't do their lyrics in english so there's this distance where it's like i don't quite know what the hell they're talking about and well, i haven't <laughs> taken you... the slovakian lyrics and translated it but um so they translate the titles in some releases on bandcamp and it doesn't help they're even crazier so like just just keep not knowing <laughs> i mean i go off of what i think it was the guitarist in the interview said what the album's about which sounded intriguing like i think it's about like kind of a witch hysteria like some centuries ago in this town in Slovakia. And it's actually based on like some true story. Um, and it's sort of about just sort of like persecution and paranoia um, as obviously all witch hunts are. Um, but uh, yeah, I, musically it's just a style I really enjoy. I finally got to see them live a year or two ago. Mm. Um, I know they played the East coast and I wasn't able to go to that, but I went to Sweden, um, 2018 or maybe it was 2019. Yeah, I think it was 2019. Um, in like March to go to a fest called the abyss festival, um, which was just tons of cool stuff like tormentor played and, uh, just, tons of bands um I th- it was the first time i ever got to see sodom because you know they never come here to the states so and, and even at that i had to like my flight they were like playing the saturday night headliner and my flight was sunday at like six or seven <laughs> in the morning and they were playing into like about one in the morning and I was just like, I need to get some fucking sleep. Uh, <laughs> so I left halfway through the Sodom set just to get back to the hotel and get like three and a half hours before I had to catch a bus to the ho- to the airport, which sucks. And um, but, you know, hopefully I'll get to go to Europe again and see Sodom again. But but Malik or Patsan uh, played and they were just great. And there was this real sort of like merciful fate vibe to them. Mm-hmm. Um, again, mixed in with like kind of like, especially where they're from in terms of the Czech and Slovakian scene, just like that master's hammer, this weird kind of esoteric sort of black metal that didn't quite fit in with like the Norwegian, the Scandinavian scene. Um, and definitely this, this real connection still to like eighties, like traditional metal and thrash metal, um, that maybe a lot of like the Norwegian bands were trying to distance themselves from, um, that you know is still there like I, I definitely get a vibe from them like i could see malakarpat on like opening for serathon gold and it working right um actually that's a really cool that's a really cool idea yeah that's i didn't think of that might yeah and in fact i i actually kind of forgot about that release this year um because i haven't i've only listened to it a couple times uh, it just didn't make my rotations as powerfully as some other releases but mm-hmm. when i listened to it and looked, i was like and this band sounds more different than other bands sound. I'll put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> like they, they definitely got their own thing going on. Whether or not it vibes with me, like musically, I'm maybe halfway there. Joe, I know you really like it, which is yep. cool as fuck. But man, seeing them like open for Sirith Ungol, I'd be there in two seconds. <laughs> yeah, that sounds cool as hell. Yeah, yeah. I was a little bit more on board, I think, with their um their last album. I'm gonna try and pronounce this uh, Nord Carpatan Land, probably. I guess. Um, because I felt like that one was really more channeling like the Merciful Fate thing, and here they kind of developed their own sound. Mm-hmm. Not that it's bad, but like a lot of my music I, f- yeah. list, history, like listening, is basically trying to chase the high that like Merciful Fate gave me the first time I heard them. So like mm-hmm. that was <laughs> that was pretty good on that end. But yeah, this one's good too. I, I can relate to that. Like, I think I was telling a friend before because we were commiserating about not seeing Merciful Fate at Psycho. Um, like, if you combine Merciful Fate with King Diamond, I think that would be my favorite band ever. 
Um, like yeah. if you didn't put a division necessarily between the two, like, mm-hmm. cause I think from the first merciful fate EP, you know, nuns have no fun all the way up to probably King diamonds conspiracy. I think that's like just one of the greatest runs of albums of all time, like up there with, you know, you know, the big fours, you know, eighties runs or anyone else. Um, so yeah, I, I always love it when bands kind of, put them as a heavy influence and i do agree that second album there's is a little bit more of that and i think when i saw them live i mean obviously it was the live vibe was reminding me of it but yeah. um i think that was before the new album came out certainly yeah because well this year and i saw them last year <laughs> yeah. so it was older material seeing them play yeah. live um but yeah they're they're just a great band that um isn't afraid to mix uh heavy metal in with their black metal Let's wrap this puppy up, this segment, with I want to introduce one last album. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Joe, I think you may have tried to listen to this and said, no, it's not my thing. And Ted, I'm not sure. But Ulcerate, uh, Stare Into Death and Be Still. Like, you were talking about bands, I guess, like, bands who sound like themselves and a bit like other bands, but who always, album after album, maintain that identity, even though they develop. Like, mm-hmm. sounds different, still sounds like them. Um, that Ulcerate album, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the prior albums as much. Like they were a little too, I guess they were really noisy in that, like it really scrambled my brain and it was hard to pay attention and focus on them. But now this band has injected like this really dark groovy melody into their music that sounds just like Ulcerate, but to me, it just makes it easier to follow and easier to like be focused into. And they, they do that like so well on that album that it's, I've listened to it so many times. It's it's pure. And uh, I don't know if you guys had the same experience or not. Joe, I know you tried to listen to Ulcerate, right? I sent that to you. Yeah, yeah. I, I tried. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're definitely of that genre, subgenre that is not normally my cup of tea. Um, I, I kind of feel like, I, I mean, from everything you say, I could probably commiserate with your feelings about the previous albums, which makes me inclined to be like, Okay, I should probably give this new one another listen because maybe maybe I'm just it just didn't click before. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I can't say too much other than that. It 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 hasn't clicked yet, but but it might. So I gotta yeah, give it another yeah. try. Honestly, it's it does require a very specific mood. Um, it's a really it's a really I mean a lot of metal is bleak, but this is bleak. Mm-hmm. This is this is bleak. You got to be really in like just a certain mood, you know. And that's fine. Uh, it's interesting to hear, Joe, your reaction as someone who doesn't typically listen to that band. And, like, it's funny to say, like, oh, yeah, I agree with you. Those prior albums are kind of hard to listen to. And they are, I think. And this new one, you're, like, willing to give it, like, a shot and see what happens. Well, it's because, like, I mean, you were talking about, like, oh, there's, like, this dark rhythm and melody under it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, that's those are things that I generally like when yeah, people yeah. say in the abstract. So I'm like, yeah. uh, maybe maybe I missed that. Because I when I think of that album, I don't think of that. So I'm like, well, it's shit. interesting, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe I, I would... need to go back to it. Yeah. What about you, Ted? Yeah, so this one fell into what I call like my COVID like death spiral lint trap where like... <laughs> Um, Love it. I get like, you know, I, I wrote about this in a column I did recently, but like sometimes I'll like get recommendations yeah. that an album's good. I'll literally edit and then read a review that one of our guys does, in this case Langdon, does an album saying it's good. See so like streams for it, have the opportunity to listen to it and just not do that. So mm-hmm. fortunately I can't really say anything, but I will say from Langdon's review, it sounds like a good album that like I probably would like if I can like listen to it. Um, which I will do at some point, but not before this podcast. So, yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, not to go too deep into it, but I think we've got a couple minutes left. Um, what What's a very recent album, if there is any, that like you're kind of like, oh, this, this is a contender? Mm. Very recent. Like, are you talking last? Like the last month or 30 two. days? Um, okay, yeah. Like, for me, I, I you know, I wrote on it, I, it would be the new Havakrunu. Um, that that thing's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Finnish black metal band, and uh, it's just it's catchy as fuck. Um, it it's got that kind of epic sweeping feel, and you know, I noticed you know listening to it over and over, like it, it is a bit of a change from their earlier work, but um, yeah, I still really enjoy it. Um, it's more triumphant now. It's more. Yes. It's more. 
It's super triumphant. I like that album a lot. And Joe, I could see why you like it. But I think John likes it. I think all of us who typically listen to a lot of black metal like that album. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, the surprise Kralis release was huge for black metal. Um, that band continues to remain like an underground staple and sort of like the heroes of like East Coast really involved techie black metal and like man that band has some talent like there's no doubt about that whether it coalesces into coherent decent music is up to the listener of course i think the new kralis is pretty good probably the best thing they released in half a decade um but you know they they play by their own rules they just no pr no announcement it's just we don't know about it i don't know who else (laughs) knows about it but it just comes out and there it is and i like that style sometimes you know no building up no singles no premieres it's just like there it is um so i don't know if you guys check that kralis album out or not um no not yet but it, it does sound pretty good sorry i hit my mic there but i'll just cut that the last thing i'll recommend is uh purification perfect doctrine uh it's a doom album very much in the vein of like reverend bazaar and a little bit oh, of cathedral nice. maybe uh so that one's you know it's like it's from I think Portland. It's it's really good, like basically shorter form Reverend Bazaar. And uh, mm. I watched a music video they did the other day. I just thought it was funny because like, you know, it's like they're in like this garden with a bunch of nice flowers and stuff. It looks cool. And then you notice like the drummer has T-shirts over his snare and like no cymbals, just a hi hat. And so I'm pretty sure they're like they played in like their mom's backyard and like she's like no, you can't like <laughs> use your cymbals. So like as you watch this guy, he'll play the parts like to the song and this kind of like mime hitting the cymbals and just it gets stranger the weirder the longer you look at. It, but uh definitely a good album so yeah, right. recommend ted, that. ted ted you're gonna have to link me that because because i need to see that all right, will do. <laughs> that's hilarious 